I want you to go to New Testament Philippians chapter 2 and uh, I want to ask you a question. It's still early in 2020 and it's kind of odd still to say 2020, isn't it? How many of you have already written 2019 again and hadn't made the change yet? I had mentally just had to make myself do the 2020 thing, but it's there. I got it in my mind, so we're good. Philippians chapter 2, we'll read there in just a moment. I will tell you that Pastor John's on guard with the uh, uh, reserves this weekend. If he were here, he'd say, Pastor, you preached three sermons this morning, and it's going to be true. I'm going to preach you three sermons. Don't you, don't say that. Uh, Let me ask you something. How many in this room have everything going just like you'd like it to go? Everything. Everything. Wow. Anybody here have some? (laughs) Is some things going for you? Good. Anybody here have a lot of things you'd like to change? So what I want to ask is, what's your attitude about it? What's your attitude? We are going to talk about the attitude, the mind of Christ. And I want to be as practical as I can be with you today. Something that's serviceable. I wish so much when I was, say, 20 years old or 15 or 30 that somebody had preached a message like this for me to understand. All of you who are under the age of 90, I want you to pay close attention. But can I say, especially if you're in your young years, because this subject of the mind of Christ, the attitude, is one of the most important things you will ever learn or wish you had learned. I have a cousin that years ago, he, uh, I think he owned at the time three airplanes. I know for sure he had one. He put me in a Piper Cub one day on a Saturday. I've, I've told this story years ago. He said, you want me to fly you? And I said, sure. Before we got up in that plane, we were having a great time flying over there, big farm, and, and uh, it was a fun time. We got up in that plane, and he says, uh, do you mind if we do some stalls? How many of you know what a stall is in an airplane? Well, I'd never heard of a stall. That, for me, was what you put horses and cows in, or it was dividing panels and restrooms. <laughs> Stalls. Well, I learned about stalls, and it's pretty scary. If you don't know what a stall is in flying, you'll know now. You take an airplane, and we were in a little Piper Cub, and you fly in an upward position, and you fly as high as that engine will pull, or as high as you t- it can take you, till it loses power, and it barely holds its own, and it gets to where it can't climb anymore, and a stall becomes a fall. Loretta, it's a big one, honey. <laughs> that dated me, didn't it? <laughs> wow. I'm in this plane. I'm going up here, and it and there's a big red light that boop boop. And I understand that you have to keep certified. You have to do so many of these with a witness. And I had been used as a witness to practice stalls. I did not volunteer. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's how I felt about it. That's why I'm not going to jump off of a perfectly good bridge with nothing but a rubber band trying to catch me. I don't care if it is big. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
I saw it scared me to death. Flight is an amazing thing. It literally is simply overpowering gravity. And on an airplane, I learned there are many instruments. I spent several years in, in the reserve myself, and I flew in helicopters for the better part of five and a half years. And I, I in the intercom system, because a helicopter is considered an airship in the military, and you have intercom systems, and you can't hear for the engine. And I learned something about all the gadgets that were on the dash of this helicopter and airplane. And then my first five or six years in business, we flew. I got so tired of airplanes. But I will tell you, there are all these instruments that are there. You can fly visual patterns or you can fly VHR, you can fly IFR, instrument rated. And one of the main indicators on an aircraft is simply this. It's called, there is an, there is an altitude indicator, but there is an attitude indicator. And you say, well, Pastor, how in the world can a plane have an attitude? Well, it's simply this. On an airplane, attitude is the position of the aircraft in relation to the horizon. And an attitude indicator is extremely important because if you do not know that you're climbing or know that you're falling, you can do so and be in trouble without knowing it. As a matter of fact, there, there are times when you can be in clouds and darkness and it's, you can fly up, you can get upside down and not know it. That may seem odd to you, but it happens. I mean, this attitude indicator is important. When the aircraft is climbing, it is called nose high attitude. When an aircraft is diving, it's called a nose down attitude. Up or down compared to the horizon. How many of you are getting the picture really quickly? You either this morning have an attitude, high, nose high attitude, or a nose down attitude. That's why I said, how many of you, <laughs> good attitude. Pilots are constantly concerned about attitude. Because attitude indicates the performance of that aircraft. Thus, it is in a prominent place. You can see it on that picture right there. Prominent place on the dash panel of an aircraft. Here's a deduction. Change the attitude and you can change the performance. Control the attitude and you can control the performance. Well, let's shout about that. In flying lessons, there is a section, it's, it's a manual, and in that training manual or flight manual, it is called Attitude Flying, and it explains all about the attitude of the airplane. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you and I as Christians, we too have an instruction manual. Ours is called Attitude Living, and it comes out of God's Word called the Bible. Philippians 2 and 5. I want to read a verse of Scripture. It's simple. Let this mind or attitude, his idea of life, his example, his thoughts, 
His behavior, let this mind, this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That means we have to know what Christ was like, how he responded, look at the principles so that you and I can be the example he set. And Christ gave us that example to follow. The, the high standard of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, was not meant to frustrate us, but it is to reveal areas in our lives that we need improvement. I want you to turn to a friend and say, you may not know it, but you could stand some improvement. Did you say that to your husband? Tell him. There you go. What he said, that's easy, isn't it? You could stand some improvement. You know why I know? Because there isn't any perfect people sitting in front of me and you're not listening to one. We can stand some improvement, amen? You can't be found unless you realize you're lost. How many of you know that our politics won't deal with truth? We won't deal with real truth. We deal with games. We deal with, we deal with prejudice and we deal with our own vindictive agendas, but the scripture tells the truth. And this scripture deals with genuine life. I want you to look in Philippians 2. I, 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 I'm just going to read a few verses. Here's the first message. Here's the examples important. Christ was selfless. Philippians 2, I want to read 3 and 4. Let Nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In simple terms, that means you're supposed to prefer that everybody else have it better than you do. And you're supposed to pay the sacrifice so somebody else has a better benefit than you do. Christ was selfless. Get up and come to the altar. That's enough. Come on, somebody don't, don't just, somebody got to agree. How many of you know we're in a selfish world? He was a selfless example. No vainglory. In honor, prefer that your brother and sister have it better than you. Away with this green-eyed monster jealousy. Ladies and gentlemen, if God blesses a brother or sister, thank God for it. Be a part of the positive side of it because your attitude will be a nose up and God will bless you for that attitude. Number two, Christ was secure. Look at verse 6 and 7. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. How many of you have boasted about yourself or tried to make yourself look really good in front of your friends and you always feel like you have to be better than them to impress them? Listen, everybody's done that. How many have ever seen somebody you know they're trying to impress you? How many of you know somebody's trying to impress you? Jesus was secure. Secure. Thirdly, he was submissive. Verse 8. Look at it. And being found in the appearances of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He was submissive. 
Paul says these are the qualities that are we're exhibited by the life of Christ because of his mind or his attitude. Paul also says that we too can have the same attitude. We too can be a visual example. Romans chapter 12, you don't have to turn, I'm going to read two verses. Paul said through the Spirit, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That simply means this. We follow Christ's example. We should be selfless. We should have a sense of being secure. And we should be submissive. I knew that would make a shout. Psalm 34, if you'd like to turn there. I'm going to read a couple of verses in that particular psalm. Psalm 34. I want to point to it in a minute. David gives us some practical examples of how to face fear, how to face frustration, how to face loneliness, how to face the problems of life. Do not miss David's concept and what God gave him to experience in his life. He was surrounded by problems. This is King David. A leader with all the pressures that you cannot imagine. In a cave now, running at Psalm 34 for his life. His own kind has turned against him. And don't miss this message. Here's message two. It has three points, but don't miss this. Here's message two. If you have a problem, and you don't know what to do, and any problem in life, the first thing you do as a twice-born man or woman, praise the Lord. Your problems and your victory is hidden and contained in. Go and praise the Lord. Psalm 34 verse 1, look at this. I will bless the Lord at all times. That's when you feel like it and especially when you don't. That's when you feel like it, finish it for me. And especially when you don't, say it with me. And especially. One more time, and especially when you feel like it and when you don't. That is a discipline that can change your life. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David, praise simply tells us this. Praise begins with the will. It doesn't have to have goosebumps. Dave talked about it today. When you open the Word, God is there. When we're in a prayer closet, God is there. When we're gathered here, God is there. When you go to the prayer closet by yourself, God is there. It begins with our will. And His attitude? A determination to rejoice regardless of circumstance. And let me just tell you, you're looking at a guy many times who has had his world crushed and his rug jerked from out from under his feet emotionally, spiritually, mentally, financially, domestic, and in leadership. Dark, dark storms of my life. The one thing I learned to do is get in the closet of prayer and praise the Lord when I feel like it and when I don't. 
That's a decision of discipline that will change your life. When everything's going wrong, get to the Master and worship Him. Secondly, praise flows from the will, the choice, to the emotion. Look at verse 2. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. My mind, my will, my emotions. Then it leads from my will to the presence of God that He changes me. Now, David, in prayer, David begins to sense it, the presence of God, and his emotions start getting affected. And that's in the presence of God how he starts dealing with your problems. Thirdly, praise starts with the will, it flows to the emotion, and thirdly, it speaks to others. Look at verse 2 and 3 I read too. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Listen, it's important that you're here every Sunday. It's important that you're here every Sunday. You know why? Because when two or three are gathered, there's God's presence. And we worship God. We choose to worship Him. We choose to raise our hands. Not ashamed to lift holy hands as the Scripture says. We're not ashamed to say amen and praise the Lord. We're not ashamed to shout. We're not ashamed to let the tears flow and the emotion because of the presence of our God. And the the immensity of what He's done for us overwhelms us and it spreads to others. That's why it's important for you every Sunday to worship because you have no idea who's sitting beside you or behind you in front of you and what Satan has done in their life. And when you out of your choice begin to praise and the Spirit of God moves your emotion so that God can heal you and then it spreads to others, you have no idea what your worship and your praise and your faithfulness and your discipline to God can do for somebody else. It's important. David, learn those lessons from David. David had determined an attitude of praise, a nose high attitude. The last verse of that psalm says this, The Lord redeems the soul, mind, will, emotions, affections of His servants. He redeems them. It means that when you you choose out of your will, whether you feel like it or not, to worship God, and then the Spirit of God comes and stirs you and starts talking to your mind and stirs your emotion and some good thinking, and then you begin to speak that, here's what it means. He heals the soul of His servants and the and none of those watch this none of those who trust in him shall be condemned sermon 2 amen amen mom and dad when trouble hits your home the best thing you can do is have an altar in the middle of your living room call those children kneel before them Sit in a circle if you want and hold hands, but pray. Choose to worship the Lord. Let Him stir your mind and heart till you think thoughts other than what Satan's putting there. And thirdly, bring it to the house of the Lord because it affects everybody else's life. David had an attitude of praise. Attitude living, ladies and gentlemen, like attitude flying, indicates performance. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, or you keep having problem after problem after problem, there's an end. It's it, it, it's a 
It's a nose-down attitude many times. Once I heard a coach say to his football team, Fellas, I look around and your abilities say win, but your attitudes say lose. Attitude is an inward feeling that is expressed by an outward behavior. So let's, let's reverse it. When you see somebody with a bad attitude, with a bad behavior, it's because there's an attitude problem. Boy, it's quiet in here, isn't it? When you see behavior, and it's negative, most of the time it's an attitude problem. And Satan zeroes in to try to do everything he can to destroy and keep you in a negative and defeated and a lie-bound attitude. Well, hallelujah. It's expressive. How many, let me ask you this. How many have ever heard of the word pout? Do you know what a pout is? Have you ever heard the word pout? How many have ever seen anybody pout? It's a nose down attitude. It's a nose down and lip out attitude. <laughs> Leave that up there a minute. I think most of these are children, but I've seen that a lot too. And watch this. The very first point of Sermon 1 was Christ was selfless. And here, you know why we pout? When we don't get our way. Well, it's on Facebook. I better straighten up. Everybody wants their way. And we won't get it. And listen, we may not pout outside, but we pout inside. And it affects our attitude. And attitude affects behavior. If you're going to fix a behavior, you've got to fix the attitude. And Satan wants to destroy you any way he can with an attitude. Have you ever heard of this term? It was called a jutted jaw. I don't have that picture. You ever seen somebody set that jaw? Too close to home for comfort, right? Ladies and young people, mom and dad... Of all the things we wear, our expression is the most important. Guys, how would you feel you drive up for a date? And boy, you just can't wait. You knock on that door. You've been thinking for four or five days or ten days, I'm going to knock on this door and see this beautiful, lovely thing. She's going to have that makeup on just right, eyeshadow and all that. And that lipstick's going to be smeared just right. And the powder and the rouge is in place. And the perfume is just right. And she's dressed in all that. And you open that door and you knock on that door. How would you feel if when you open that door, she goes, What do you want? Once you get married, that's going to happen in the house. Just so you know. Just so you know. And gender doesn't have a corner on it. (laughs) Nor does age. 
getting uncomfortable, aren't we? Your expression. Your expression. I won't say when and I won't say where. I'll just say this happened. I walked into the office one day. And uh, walked in and the secretary said, Pastor, you look much better today. Well, what does that mean? You, you look much better today. I mean, you can go a lot of directions from that, can't you? And I said, how so? Well, you're just much more cheerful. And I said, well, have I been not been cheerful? And there wasn't any sugar on this, and it wasn't time release. She said, no. I, have I not been chipped? No. Ooh. Everybody needs that lesson. Young people, mom and dad, grandparents, let me tell you something. You can control a lot of the atmosphere in your home and in the restaurant and in the hospital and on the job by your attitude, nose high or nose down. And no one wants to work around nose-down, moody, spoiled judge jaw-setting, pouting people. Hello? This week, I've been trying to be cheerful. Attitude is expressed by our body language. The, the countenance on our faces. And let me just tell you something. Your countenance, depending on your attitude, is contagious. It's contagious. And I will, I've learned this. Cover-ups don't last long. You walk in, I'm going to put on this face. Three minutes later, somebody can say something and a down-nosed attitude will show up in a heartbeat. Have you ever walked into that? I'm just going to say that I do not believe God likes moody people. I don't. Do you, do you want to walk into an office or any place, anywhere? Do you want to walk in up where just got a bad attitude? Who wants to walk into that? I, I walked into a restaurant the other day, and, and I sat down, and, and this person walked up, yeah, just stood there. And I'm going, uh... I just looked at them. And they, they didn't say a thing. And I said, uh, do you need something? Uh, they needed an attitude adjustment. Doesn't that just make you happy? I'm going to eat a hamburger or something, and you stand there and look at me? You know what? I came in here. I have money or plastic in my pocket, and you're a waiter or a waitress. The least you could do was greet me and say, Hello there. Can I get you something to drink? What do you want today? But just walk up. Teenagers, if you're like that, change. If you think you're going to make a living like that, you better, you, you better, get, you better become a specialist and an expert in something. You don't even know what I just said. 
So I said to this, happened to be a young man, I said, do you need something? He said, no. I went, well, I need something. He said, what is that? And I said, I need a smile out of you. Hello, world. I don't know where he was. I don't know what planet he was on, but he came to earth. <laughs> he went, hello. <laughs> We're tuned in. Attitude. Attitude. Have you ever walked into a place and you just get this feeling that they don't even care if you're there or not? If you were working for me, I'd fire you for that. I would. If, if, you, if, if we're in retail sales and you don't, have, you don't have a good attitude, you're history. You know why? Because we're not going to have business. There's not going to be the business. Well, I better quote Madeline and get back over here. Heard a story about a boy. You probably heard it. He's four years old. He just had a trouble-filled day, and he was fussy and fussy, and finally mom just spanked him and said, Son, sit in that chair. And he turned and said, Mommy, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> if it were my son, he'd get more than a spanking. He'd know what it meant to be set on fire. Because I would change that attitude. And I would change it through the seat of understanding to the brain of knowledge. And Quint knows that's true. Church, mom, dad, young people, I want you to listen to pastor this morning. Whenever we experience difficulties in our Christian walk and in our lives... It's not always this is the case, not always the case, but I will tell you this, many times we experience difficulties and problems in our lives because of disobedience. We grow cold, we get selfish, we get self-centered, we become critical, our attitudes get negative, and performance is affected by a nose-down attitude. I want to challenge you today with the words of Mary, Jesus over in the book of Matthew. Or I'm sorry, John. Let me just take you there. I trust you know it. I'll be brief. I'll be moving through these quickly. It is a time at the wedding of Canaan, just before Jesus opened His ministry. The disciples are there. Mary's there. Here's a wedding. I won't read it all. I'm just going to read verses as we go. John 2, and this is, this is going to be verse 2. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Here's what Mary said. We'll get to it a little later. But because they didn't, they ran out of wine. Jesus knowing who, I mean Mary knowing who Jesus was. She's had him in her home. She's raised this young man in a carpenter shop. He's now at the age of the time for ministry. And when the wine went out, they ran to her. And she said to this group. Whatever he says to you, do it. I mentioned this several weeks ago in Wednesday night. I even mentioned it in the pulpit several weeks ago. I want to say it. Some simple terms. Whatever he says to you, do it. That verse right there, they rent, they, verse 2, they were at this wedding. 
I want to say to you this morning, don't forget this. Whatever He says to you, do it even though you may not think you're in the right place. In the right place. You may not be at church, but ladies and gentlemen, young people, God desires to bless us in any place we go if we have the right heart and attitude about where we are. Let me read verse 3. And when they had ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Whatever he says to you, do it, even when you have a lot of problems. There was a problem in a wedding when you ran out of wine in the Jewish custom. Ran out of wine. Too many times our problems drive us away from Jesus rather than toward him. Spiritual attitude renewal begins when we focus on God's power and not our problems. There's no wine. It's a sad situation. And Mary turned her attention toward the God-man in that room. How many of you know there's a God-man in the room in your heart? When you have problems, you turn to Him all the time. Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to her, Woman... What does, your con- what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Christ was saying, why did you bring this to my attention? I have not yet started my ministry. So, whatever he says, do it even though you are not encouraged. Years ago when I was a young preacher boy... I used to listen to sermons and read sermons by the dozens and dozens and dozens. I remember a Southern Baptist fellow. Boy, back then they could be leather lung and I will never forget. This minister said about, he just stopped and said it and I've said it and my boys hear it. He said, do right because you can always do right. Do right because you can always do right. And for about 40 or 50 times, he said, Do right, 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 do right. He said, Pastor, why'd you do that? Because I want you to do right. But it comes with the right attitude. You have a lot of problems, you still do right. No excuses. You'll have a lot of pressures, do right. Got a lot of strain in your world, do right. Got my heart torn out of me yesterday afternoon late. I sat in a minister's home and heard that one of my minister friends has had a moral failure and he's thrown out of the ministry. I would like to have months ago had him in a congregation and see if I could mark his mind by saying, do right, do right. How many of you got it? Do right because you can always do right. Even when you're not encouraged. Verse 5. His mother said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So I want to say, whatever he says to you, Do it, even though you have not walked with Him very long. 
The disciples had just been chosen. Hadn't been around him very much. Some of them were tax collectors. Some of them were fishermen, attorneys, or doctors, excuse me. And he called them. Do right, even though you have not walked with him very long. These servants were just new. Just started following Christ. Watch this. Yet they were expected to obey. I sound like a hard nose this morning, don't I? I want to bring news to you. I expect you to obey this book. I expect you to live right. I expect you to be obedient to the Lord. I expect you to be a good, solid, mature, progressing Christian. Pastor, I don't know about that. I do. You see, now's the time to say that. That God forbid if you ever fall. I won't be hard. I'll be merciful. But I don't want to show mercy. I want you to show discipline. Amen? Let me go on. Number six. Or number five. You do what he says even though you have not seen him work any miracles in your life. How many of you know that he worked miracles in this book? How many of you know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? You may not have seen miracles, but let me tell you something. You do right, and he'll show you a miracle. I'll tell you what he does. He does miracles in us that changes us. And sometimes we're so hard-hearted, and we're pretty stubborn, and we're pretty... Jetted jaws I talked about a while ago. Let me tell you, it's a miracle sometime to God to help us and get our minds straightened up. How many of you had a miracle? How many of you ever prayed like, Pastor, God, I can't do this. Here I am. You've got to do this for me. I've prayed that many times. God, I can't do this. I tell you what, you get hurt enough and you get wounded deeply enough, you'll get to the point that you cannot handle it. You have to go to God and say, God, I have to put this in your hands. And lastly, number six, do what he says even though you do not understand the entire process. I will tell you, I know a little bit about electricity, but I know very little. But I know enough to know that I can come in that dark room and I can flip that switch and lights will come on. And let me tell you, even though I may not understand all the process, when I go to the Father, His light will dispel the darkness in my life. From this occasion in the the wedding at Cana, we can see a definite definition for obedience. Here's what it was. Mary was saying, profound to us about our attitudes, listening to the words of Jesus and doing what He says. Inward obedience provides outward growth. His Word will always give us a nose-up attitude. A psychologist by the name of James Allen said this, A person cannot travel within and stand still without. One of the most difficult things I ever encountered in my life when I was a little boy, I had a temper, a bad temper. I know that's hard for you to believe, but I did. And I had twin guns like the Lone Ranger, and I was the fastest draw in the West on my 130 acres. And my mom made me play house with my sisters, but the good news is she'd make them play cowboys and Indians with me. 
And I'm going to tell you, I saw what the cowboys did to the Indians with their guns. And sometimes it wouldn't just shoot. I know, I've confessed it. My sisters, if they were here, they'd be shouting, Yes, he did, and he did it time and again, and a lot of times Mama didn't know it, and we tried to get her to whip him, and Dad whip him, and they wouldn't believe us. They might exaggerate that some. You say, Pastor, you're an awful kid. Yes, I was, but I was the reigning cowboy. Do you recommend that? No, don't you do that. Don't you do that. I'm just telling you. What's going on inside comes out. What's going on inside comes out. What's going on inside comes out. What happens within the effects? What happens within affects what's happening without. A hardened, nose-down attitude is a dreaded disease. A hardened attitude causes a closed mind and it poses a dark future. It is one of the favorite weapons of the enemy. A negative nose-down attitude. And I want to tell you what bothers me about many of our young people today. Just an opinion. Just want to say it. We get any kind of problem with our children, we try to peel it away. And there are, there are thousands upon multiplied thousands of young people today, today on medication that give them, gives them a bad attitude. And adults for that matter. I said it publicly. I've told my doctors, I don't do medicine. I do Jesus. Pastor, don't you believe in doctors? I think they're gifts to God, but I think I think God is a great physician. God's the great physician, amen? Here's what an attitude is, and I'm through. Somebody wrote this. I don't know who it is. I'm going to ask them to put it on the screen one at a time. What is an attitude? It is the advanced man of our true selves. Secondly, its roots are inward, but its fruit is outward. Next, it is our best friend or our worst enemy. Attitude. Next, it is more honest and more consistent than our words. Next, it is an outward look based on past experiences. I want to stop there and tell you something. Young people, don't you let a past experience in your life of pain control your attitude and how you deal with life. Get to the Lord. Get in a closet of prayer. Get a hold of God. Don't you let what happened to you imprison you the rest of your life. Come on, parents, say amen. And for, for adults included, I know people today, 40, 50, 60 years old, that are a prisoner of their past and they cannot get out of prison because they won't change that attitude. Next, it is a thing which draws people to us or repels them. 
If you want friends, get a nose-up attitude. People get sick and tired of a nose-down attitude. I know you don't want to hear this kind of stuff, but I'm going to tell you I'm duty-bound, ladies and gentlemen. I wrestle with the Lord about this message, but in 2020, we need an attitude that's right. Amen? Next, it is never content until it's expressed. An attitude will express itself. I said it, what's inside will come out. Next, it is the library, libra, librarian of our past. Satan keeps good records of the negative and he will, he will incessantly keep you reminded of it. That's why you take David's lesson, regardless of what you will, get to the Lord and praise God. Because Satan will wear you out mentally and emotionally with the negative. Young people know and learn to go and talk to God because Satan will wear your mind and emotions out and your life decisions if you allow it. Next, it is the speaker of our present. Whatever our attitude is what we're saying. Lastly, it is the prophet of our future. Tell me somebody that says, I can't or can't, and they're right. I believe that we're in the last days and our Christ could soon return. I want you to just notice, you've heard it many times, Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Ladies and gentlemen, in 2020, with the situation of the world today, the Christians should be looking up. If there's anybody that's pleasant, if there's anybody that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if there's anybody that strives to do right, if there's anybody that tries to be like Christ on this planet, it should be the twice-born man or woman, young or old. We, are, we should have the best attitudes in this world. I didn't say it's easy. But I'm telling you, it's the mind of Christ. I don't like it when my wife sees it. I like it less when she tells me. But I've learned to wait, wait a minute. There's no, there's no relationship on earth more intimate than marriage. But it's far more, ladies and gentlemen, than just physical exchange. Let me tell you something. We, iron sharpens our Iron as one man sharpens another. And God gave us mates not to have our way and not so life's wonderful for us so that we can learn and improve our lives. You know what our problem is? We need to die again and we need to get an attitude adjustment. Nose high attitude, not arrogance. But I think we should live in a nose-high attitude. It is a determination to be a positive performer in obedience as an example of Christ until He arrives. And I'm through when I say this. He's looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. And He's asking us to qualify. Amen. I can't tell you. 50 years of marriage. 
I can't tell you how many times. To be honest with you, my wife's knocked the breath out of me. But I can also tell you she's knocked a lot of rough off of me. I want to tell you, I've learned she can see things I can't see. She can sense things I can't see. And sometimes her, her wacky thinking, this, this pains me deeply. Her wacky thinking sometimes is better than mine. You owe me. <laughs> I, know I'm, I know I'm laying the axe near the root this morning. But it's 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, God is looking for a bride. God wants not religion on display. He wants relationship on parade in this late hour. And He has no plan B. You and I are His plan A. I have said proverbially a million times to my wife, I'm sorry. And I want to tell you, I don't feel less than for that. I feel like it's a Christ thing. My son and I were talking yesterday. A man after God's own heart was a powerful statement God made about a man named David. A powerful statement. There's a man after my own heart. You study all the Scripture, look at everything you want. The whole reason for that is this, not because he was perfect, not because he did everything right, because we all know his record. We all know his record. But he was a man after God's own heart because he was quick to repent. He kept short accounts of when he blew it with God. The longevity was one year. Read it in Psalm 51 when he finally admitted of his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. But from that point on, David kept short accounts of him and the Lord. It pains me many times when I have to say, Lord, I have made a major mistake. I have had a thought I shouldn't have. I have said things I wish I had not have said. And can I just tell you something? The older I get, the more right I want that to be. Because it's pretty obvious. I have a lot more behind me than I do in front of me. Got a friend facing surgery, and the comment is this. I've been reading more Scripture and studying more Bible. Because I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when you look when you look death and eternity in the face, it'll make you want to be right with the Lord. Amen? It will. The good news is that when you're in the mercy of God, you're in the mercy of God. The good news is if you'll come to me and repent, I will in no wise cast you out. I'll pick you up. I will dust you off. But I don't expect you to do it again. Amen. I don't expect you to keep doing it. I know it's quiet. I know I've talked about a real personal thing for all of us. But I want to tell you, one of the biggest reasons for divorces in our world today is because of selfishness and the mindset that an attitude is not selfless. Let's stand.
I want you to. I want you to think every morning, in the morning, this afternoon when you go home, but I want you to think in the morning when you go to work about your attitude. I wonder if you're here this morning and you need to apologize to somebody for attitude, things you've said, things you wish you hadn't done at work. Maybe the boss has given you a problem because you had a wrong attitude. I want to tell you something. Humility is a beautiful thing. Arrogance is ugly on everybody. Did you know conceit is not pretty, but humility is? I worked for a long time for a man that was wealthy, wealthy. I heard all the criticism through the big corporation. I was a manager in big business. You know how easy it is to criticize? I got my feet knocked out from under me, and I realized, praying one day, that I had become so critical. Boy, don't ever get in that old seething cauldron. There's a picture in the scripture like a, a witch's brew in an old brewing pot. It's called a seething cauldron. And you can get caught up in a seething cauldron and change your attitude and get all critical and all cynical. And all you can do is see the negative. That's a nose-down attitude. But I, I, got, I got in an altar. And I said, God, I'm never going to... I will never forget it. I will, God, I will never get in that seething cauldron again. I promise you as long as I live, I will not. I got up from that altar and I drove to the man's house. He had a nine-bedroom home, swimming pool, 12-foot doors. His chimes when you rang the bell lasted five minutes, so to speak. I was just a wage earner and he was wealthy. But I'm going to tell you something. Just because people have money doesn't mean they're bad people. They may know how to run a business. And sometimes Christians work for Christian people with, with unex, unspoken expectations. I want to tell you, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you put in a day's work for a Christian boss. Amen? I rang that doorbell, walked in. Lady of the house answered the door. I said, can I see your husband? Sure. Have a seat. I just stood up. That man came in. I said, I'm here on a mission. I've been before the Lord. I don't want to look you in the eye and tell you I've said things about you I wish I hadn't said. I got caught up in a horrendous, ugly, critical cycle that I'm ashamed of. And God has so convicted me. I know you're probably like the rest of us. You're imperfect. But this one thing I want you to know. I'm asking you to forgive me for things I should not have said. And I'll never forget it. This man that was criticized by everybody so deeply. He reached up, put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Dave, you just entered my house with the right attitude. And the spirit by which you have apologized is the spirit by which I receive it. And he said, today you become a winner. The man that I had criticized put his hands on my shoulder and said, I receive you in the Spirit and today you became a winner. And he said, how about you and I pray? He knelt in front of me 
I knelt with the... I want to tell you something. I have never, ever, ever been involved in that kind of a situation again. Attitude is everything.